Grace Geltman and Weld on the Hammer Factor. Take it away, boys. Yeah. Bog I... down in, you know, female to male guest ratios. <laughs> I, Isaac told me he wants to start a podcast called Stuck in Holes. This is going to be all the raw shit that we're too soft to talk about. <laughs> That's great until you have a couple thousand listeners and then suddenly you <laughs> suddenly get the three percenters writing you emails. <laughs> All right. Welcome to Hammer Factor episode 68. My name is John Grace, producer here at the show, and I am joined by director of the Deep State, Lewis Geltman. Indeed. And the captain of the con- conspiracy theory, John Weld. And uh, it's been a little bit. We got some emails online, people kind of complaining that we didn't do our first of the month thing, but hey, we're back. Shocker. So. We're busy people. We're busy people. And uh, speaking of busy, there's a lot going on. There's There's a race coming up here in just 10 days. Is that the Iceman Challenge? days. <laughs> That's the Mill Race Massacre, Ten I think, days. right? <laughs> it's the Green River Narrows Race. So check it River out. <laughs> check it out. I was listening to... I think the Tahikin is this weekend. Is that right, Gilman? <laughs> are you guys racing? It's like the third... Now, look at you. You guys are the best armchair kayakers I've ever met. You're not even... Are you racing? When are you... Oh, are you even going to come oh. out? You come out here for the Eldub Race next year. <sighs> God, I'll contemplate showing up for the green race. Oh, yeah. You know, many moons ago, Lewis, I put on an L-Dub race before anybody out there even kayaked. You know, there was a time when there was like six people who kayaked on that river. I do. I remember it fondly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway, yeah, it's green race time. It's busy as hell. We've been in a drought situation, which is kind of sketchy. There's a new... It's no longer Duke Energy that controls the dam. It's this new company called Northbrook. And it kind of made me realize how professional the hydrology department was at Duke Energy. You, you, can you, you gave me an alarming statistic or alarming number when you're talking about how much money they generate uh, from that dam. Yeah, well, it's ridiculous. you know. Uh, so I was talking with the guys, and basically I was like, so how do you get in the – they're a private company. They're not a publicly, you know, I guess Duke is a utility that's private, but it's publicly reg- regulated with a lot of scrutiny. To be clear, this is the dam that feeds the Green River, and you're putting on a race there, and you need these guys to release water for a race. And it's not just a regular, you know, short release. It needs to go on for hours to accommodate the, the 20 or 30 people that show up to that thing you do. Yeah, exactly. Those 20 or 30 people, they really want to see a race. So. Right. But anyway, 23 <laughs> years on the first Saturday in November at high noon, it's right. happened. One year it happened on a one-hour delay because we had a snowstorm. But anyway, I was just talking to those guys about you know, the price per kilowatt hour and the way things are going and what they generate per hour. And so when they have one generator flowing in the Green River, they are earning about 120 bucks an hour. That's how cheap power is. With I guess with the glut of natural gas, essentially fuel doesn't cost anything. So when you pay your power bill, you're not paying for the actual creation of energy. It's just all maintaining the infrastructure. So, Which begs the question, why don't you charge an entry fee 
I know how many people are already angry just from that sentence alone, but then just buy just <clears throat> buy the release. I mean, you could have a six hour release for less than a thousand bucks, right? Buy the release. That's my water. They should be like paying me for that water. That's the yeah. kayaker's water. They don't get to own that water. I don't know. Yeah, That's weird hearsay to me. This is the hammer, the hammer and sickle podcast. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do you really? I just don't agree with buying water from buying public water. It's, it's I, th- I think they should be releasing it at two. I think they should be, do like two for Tuesdays, like two hundred percent on Tuesdays and stuff. That's my thoughts, Lewis. I'm, I'm, I'm still chewing on that one hundred and twenty dollars an hour for a release statistic. I mean, that is like nothing yeah right yeah that's what sh- i was shocking yeah just I mean, like, it seems like you guys could get like i mean that's like five bucks a person you can turn the water on anytime you want at that point it's i mean that's crazy yeah well it has more to do with they have i mean i i, I mean duke sold i mean how do they even get anybody to show up at work to turn the gates on for 120 bucks an hour exactly you know so i mean duke sold it because they couldn't make any money off of it anymore and I mean just a short 10 or 12 years ago it was 8 or 9 times as much that thing was making you know 8 or 900 dollars an hour and when you have 800 dollars and that's one unit so if they had two units running which it's capable of you're looking at close to 2000 dollars an hour you do that for 24 hours a day you know you can see where that would add up but the cost of power has just gone down into the grid to just insanely low levels and they were talking about it was just a lot to do with just how much natural gas supply was out there so anyway interesting situation um you know we've got it's good it's 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 worked out one of the units is broken and the dam is on its last leg it's so stressful i don't know but anyway it's gonna happen if i'm not mistaken uh this is the year that dane's gonna break four minutes It, it is a statistical fact um I actually took that little tidbit out and just overlaid some footage from last year's green race. It was interesting. People, I was like, are people going to think this is dumb or are they going to like it? And I mean, it got like 20,000 views or something on Facebook, but just listening to that, it was, I mean, 150 different boats have raced the green 2,200 individual race runs, like 800 different racers. And I believe the comment was when we were saying that as Lewis, you were like, I didn't even know there were 150 different boats boats out there but anyway who so who's gonna win you have any predictions for us oh man predictions you know it's been hard normally i kind of have a pretty good sense by now who's going to be on the podium um but it's kind of tricky i mean you gotta you know dane's gotta be the number one seed he won the race by six seconds last year since that point he hasn't Got, he's won every single event, freestyle or race, that he's entered. But, you know, it's super hard to repeat at the green race. I mean, it's just super hard to do. I mean, if he has one bobble, is, he's not going to win. Is the water going to be low? Like, I don't, is there going to be enough water to break four minutes? Well, you know, that's funny because statistically it's a fact that it's going to happen. <laughs> and the water was just ridiculously low. I mean, we, it didn't rain. It was 90 degrees all fall, no rain, didn't rain for three months. And then just like, oh 
God, six, eight days ago, the spigot turned on. We got two rainstorms, each with an inch or two. And now this weekend, there's like another three inches of rain predicted and a little something building Tuesday of next week. So it seems our statistician, Kenny Unser, may be correct. And I don't know if he like put weather models into his equation or how he did it, but... I mean, there's a chance. If it happens, it'll be freaking amazing. It's just hard for me to believe, even after hearing all of that and whatnot, it's going to happen. I don't know. I'm going to go, you know, Dane's got to be the favorite. Holt's going to be right up there. There's a few other heavies that are going to be, that are injured this year. Um, DeGill is back. He's hard to beat. Somebody even said Dawson was coming in. I was like, what? I haven't heard from him. But anyway, it's going to be a race. November 2nd, high noon. Um, what have you guys been up to? Well, it says here on the show notes, you have a new contest you would like <clears throat> to announce. I do. What is that? Yeah, so I ranted last episode about the Fox 40 whistle being packaged <laughs> to every participant at the paddle sports show or exhibitor, I suppose. And we actually got angry emails, people defending the Fox 40 whistle, the plastic whistle. <laughs> yes, they were very passionate about that whistle. They were. And I, to my delight, I found that I actually had a Fox 40 whistle left over from the show. So I thought what I would do is we'd have a little contest. Whoever, whoever can write me, write Hammer Factor, the douchiest email explaining why the Fox 40 whistle is an essential piece of gear and I'm creating a critical error and doing, <laughs> doing terrible damage to sport to paddles and not promoting the Fox 40 whistle. I will send them that whistle. So oh, write your douche, douchiest email and make sure to include your mailing address and uh, we'll see what... <laughs> uh, okay, there you go. And they win a whistle, Fox, right? They win the whistle, the Fox 40. Beloved <laughs> Fox 40 whistle. Do you guys oh, have God. a whistle on your PFD? I do. It's built in. It's built into my PFD. I guess mine is too, but you don't. You don't have an aftermarket whistle, no. like uh, something like the Fox Forty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just like saying Fox Forty. <laughs> Every time I hear that, I think about like a DH mountain biking fork. <laughs> I'm picturing like sea, ki- sea kayakers like googling, doing extensive searches on whistles, and like comparing like the Fox Forty and the Fox Forty RB and the Fox Forty One. And features coming out next year on the Fox Whistle series. I'm sure there's some like whistle enthusiast message board out there. A bunch <laughs> of guys with their short shorts hiked up to their rib cage. Like unboxing videos. <laughs> unboxing videos of the Fox 40. <laughs> that should be a new boat, the Fox 40. <laughs> Man, speaking of whistles, I was at the Golly this year, and there are a lot of whistles being blown out on the Golly. I don't doubt it. It was it's nuts. It's like a car alarm. I mean, you, people, I don't think people listen to them at some point, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was like, I mean, <laughs> no, it was like, you, you're talking about like a horn, like a car horn. Oh, car alarm. It's just like, yeah, whatever. But dude, it's sweets. It was like just whistles going off everywhere. And there was just like, I was like, what the <laughs> like, hell is going on here? The sky darkens with throw ropes at that point, right? <laughs> uh, like, it was like, I mean, it was just like, Fox 40 fucking all over the place, man. <laughs> It was nuts, but dude, there were so many people. We're going to talk about this a little later in the show when we get back on our death of paddle sports. Yeah. And I believe I brought this up to you in an email, John, but dude, I've never seen so many paddlers, rafters, rafters, 
I mean, kayakers of all makes, sizes, squirt boats, wild water boats, long boats, play boats, you name it. I mean, thousands and thousands of people out there on the river. And both that was also the case at the Russell Fork this year. And I want to give a shout out to American Whitewater, which we do a lot here. But uh, they were instrumental in getting three-day releases on the Russell Fork. And let me just tell you. That is something of magic. Three days on the Russell Fork, all day Friday, all day Saturday, all day Sunday. So, shout out to those guys. But, I mean, and I threw this out. I mean, is the industry plagued by just old debt? By making making debt? Do you want to get into this now? Or do you, let's do Lewis first, which is our... And okay. we'll get into this. You're, I, you're getting into the... Yeah. Okay. Can I talk about yeah. Can I talk about all the boats that I paddled before we get into Lewis? Or do we want to talk yeah. about that later? So I got to paddle at both Russell Fork and Golly all kinds of different boats. I got to paddle the new Liquid Logic Alpha on the Russell Fork, and it was freaking awesome. Really? Dude, it was freaking awesome. Like, hmm. just so much better than the last couple boats, and I saw some prototypes. and The I, last couple versions of the Alpha nah, or the last couple boats from Liquid Logic? Well, maybe the last couple boats from Liquid Logic, you know, for what I want out of a boat. You know, I don't want right, to— What kind of boat are we talking about? What is it? It's a what? It's a 9R? It's it's at? a longer 9R. It's like 9.4, 9.5, know? Cool. So it's just—it's it's a little longer, and it's got— you guys have got to check it out. So it's got like almost this, it kind of reminds me of like a wave hopper ass on it. And so it's got this super cool, you can like dip it on its edge and it has all of this kind of added, added thrust when you go flat with it. It's got some interesting, it's got some super interesting things. I was pretty blown away. So that's, that was the alpha. And then I spent a lot of time in the large dagger rewind which was freaking awesome. And then I got in the new, the second re- iteration um, of the uh, longboat that Dagger makes, the Dagger Vanguard. I took that down the green. It was awesome. I mean, the gear is just, even what it was just 10 years ago, you know, looking at like a Jefe Grande or like certain boats a long time ago, I was like, well, what are they going to do to make this better? And, I mean, it's better. So... That's my, that's my, uh, that's my boat review to start this show. I had more to say, but I, I feel like that's good news. But I've, it's, um, I, I, it would be a lot more enjoyable if you had some shit to talk about them. Yeah, I really <laughs> all those boats. I mean, all we'll those discuss boats, problems in a minute. Yeah, and there are many. <laughs> yeah, we'll get we'll get to the problems, but I mean, it's just the boats are just getting better, and you know what's finally happened is this imaginary nine foot thing is going away. You know, so and I think we've talked about that on the show before that, you know, having this nine foot barrier that you have to make your boat under is holding back some designs and and some kind of progression, and I fully agree with that with with paddling several boats that are over that nine foot range recently. So that's what I got. What about you, Lewis? Are you, you still paddling? You give me that. Listen, man, I'm <laughs> whinging about a drought out there. It's like, that's, that's summer here. You're like, Oh, it hasn't rained in two months. <laughs> yeah. 
But it finally did rain here, and got a bunch of trust in this weekend, which is just lovely. What was the level? Uh, maybe like two and a quarter. But it felt good up high, like with the big brothers, nice and deep and sweet. There's a little so, white coming up. Uh, I didn't even bother to look. It's it, No, I mean, it's not up yet, but it's uh, we're on our way. Ground's getting wetter. We had a nice little bout of rain for a little bit there, but now it looks sunny for the rest of the forecast. So just back to back to working and obsessively checking the weather forecast. Speaking of work, would you do you have anything on the Outdoor Alliance conservation front that you'd like to share with us? I do. Um, we have a couple of things happening next week. I don't know when we're when this podcast is actually going to make it onto the the internet, but uh, next Thursday, Recreation Not Red Tape has a hearing in the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee, which is a big deal. Like we're stoked. Like we made quite a bit of progress in the last Congress on the House side, but we could never get things moving on the Senate side. And so this is a pretty, pretty important step for us. So we'll send out an action alert to everybody who's on OA's list, who's senator, has a senator on Senate ENR. But even if you don't and you have a second to, you know, hop on Outdoor Alliance website, follow the links and send an email to your members of Congress on a recreation, not red tape. That would be super helpful. Um, like if you live in Washington, Maria Cantwell is on that committee. If you live in West Virginia, Joe Manson is the chair of that committee. If you're in Oregon, Ron Wyden's on that committee. So like a lot of paddling zones, like where you have relevant members of Congress for this. So, you know, do us a solid and send an email on this. We've talked about this bill a bunch in the past, but it, you know, it has a, a bunch of kind of, I don't know, like, I want to say common sense, but just like, like sort of simple things that would help raise the profile of outdoor recreation with the land management agencies, like making outdoor recreation explicitly a part of the mission for uh, land management agencies that don't have that already, like the Bureau of Reclamation and the Corps of Engineers. Um it uh you know the most important piece of it from our perspective is this section on national recreation areas which would require the land management agencies when they go through their planning processes to look for landscapes that are particularly important for outdoor recreation for climbing kayaking mountain biking backcountry skiing and give those places recreation focused management and help kind of queue up the process to put those places into protective designations you know right now when land management agencies go through planning they're required to look for eligible or for a recommended wilderness and for eligible wild and scenic rivers and this would do the same for places that are you know, important for outdoor recreation so it would be you know tremendously helpful in in sort of priming the pumps for new protective designations for places that matter for you know all the sports that we like um so stoked about that send an email um, second thing is there's a, uh, a vote on the house floor next week. I think it's going to be on the 31st for, um, a big mineral withdrawal for the kind of greater Grand Canyon area, help protect that whole zone from uranium mining, which is a big ongoing threat down there. 
um, some deep protections for the Chaco Canyon area in New Mexico, which I think is probably a little less relevant for paddlers. But uh, the big one there is the Colorado Outdoor Recreation and Economy Act, which is something we've worked on a ton. It includes San Juan, San Juan Mountains Wilderness Act, the Curacanti National Recreation Area uh, Boundary Establishment Act, the Thompson Divide Withdrawal, and this uh, Camp Hale Legacy Act. And it would really protect a ton of climbing, a good bit of paddling, a bunch of skiing, just like includes a bunch of really valuable uh protective designations in colorado you can read more about that on outdoor alliance website and again you know that one because it's on the house floor everybody has a member of congress who's who's you know going to be voting on this next week and if you want to drop that person a line that would be sick so that's i don't know some of the stuff we got going on right now Dude, I would love to see this recreation red tape cross the finish line. What's the hang-up on the Senate side with that? Um, what's the hang-up? I can I could give you a few of the reasons, you know, a few of the hang-ups on it. One is, you know, we're setting up a process to help protect more places, and there are people out there who see anything that would, you know, take any steps towards protecting public lands from, uh, you know, from from extractive development as a downside that's one um you know i think that we have good potential in our community to kind of overcome that argument like like you were saying because you know outdoor recreation is such an important economic driver that you know protecting places especially like front country places that you know draw a lot of people and get a lot of recreational use like that makes a lot of sense but it's not just about what makes sense it's about like who has the strongest lobby and you know, we have strength in numbers, but we have to like, we have to use that strength in numbers and show up because we can't show up in the same way that, you know, big extractive industry can, where there's a lot of concentrated power and a lot of ability to like inject money into the political process. It's like our model of advocacy is and has to be totally different than those industries because, you know, even in the outdoor, even in the outdoor industry, which is a big, uh, you know, it has a lot of uh, economic clout. It's like that industry is sort of like a mile wide and an inch deep, right? It's like there's a lot of businesses out there, but none of them are just like a wash in cash. Like it's not like there's like a Exxon Mobil in the outdoor industry that can be, you know, just setting up political action committees and, um, you know, using that that deep pocketed advocacy model. It's like with the outdoor industry and with the people who participate in these activities, like we have to, you know, engage in a more grassroots style of advocacy. So why don't you, know, you just storm you guys, in like, the like, room? Well, but but take take like the NRA for instance, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's a better comparison than energy extraction. I mean, those guys. You know they can do. I mean, they've been I mean, they are, a model they are, for <laughs> lobbying, right? But they are also a wash in money from the gun industry. It's like they create the impression of being this really uh, grassroots. I mean, maybe it's a dumb question: Is the gun industry that, that much, much bigger than the outdoor industry in general? I think that there's like larger, more deep-pocketed players there than there is in the outdoor industry. So we got to start throwing some money at you, Lewis. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, yes, please, but like at the same time it's like i think we just have to come to terms with the fact that 
our style of advocacy it's just like we have to use a different model than they do and i don't you know there's no reason that can't be as effective it's like what ultimately is all that money buying it's buying political advertisements it's it's you know that money is like uh you know i mean it's like it's fun to joke around about how corrupt all these politicians are but it's like it's not like they're taking that money and putting it straight in their pockets it's like that money is going to their campaign to help them get reelected, and it's like they think that money is going to help them influence people and if you just you know short circuit that and are able to demonstrate that people already care about this other thing it's like you can counteract that deep money in politics it's just you know a different way of getting at it it's like they can't get you know like exxon mobile is not going to get you know thousands and thousands and thousands of people writing to their members of congress talking about how personally important it is to them to like uh, open know, drilling drill in the arctic <laughs> yeah you know it's like they, they can't advocate that way because people don't support their agenda but you know, it's like they have to engage in this sort of like top-down style of advocacy, and we have to do it the other way. But it can work, you know, and like it is working. What about any new news on the uh, e-bike front? Uh, BLM just announced that they're adopting the same policy as NPS, but the specifics of that are still a little bit opaque to me. How about one wheels? That's what one wheels. That's what I was going to ask. Did I tell you guys about Float Life Fest? Have we talked since Float Life Fest? Did that happen again already? Yeah, we just <laughs> like every, Dude, every it, three days. It now. was huge. We had like eleven different countries represented, over five hundred one wheels. We had to bring in this huge, oh, like hundred thousand watt generator <laughs> to charge all these one wheels. It was the most badass thing where do you've they, ever where seen. Do they get the just don't say anything. Let him speak and get it over with as quickly as possible. Oh, it was amazing. It was one more mini. Don't your we, leg. We, <laughs> just let it finish. Exactly. We had over 200 people in the dual slalom race. It was sick, dude. It was like, I mean, are they allowed on the trails like the e-bikes? They got kicked out of DuPont State Forest. I talked to the land manager about it. I was like, have you not heard of regulation, not red tape? And he was like, huh? <laughs> I was like, yeah. I was like, it's a new law that says we can go in there and have some fun. Talk to Lewis. Can we not have fun? You know? (laughs) Where's my money going? I want to go in there. You're taking us off the rails here. We have important things to talk about. (sighs) Okay. (laughs) Like the Hooters in D.C. Yes, we heard the Hooters closed down, Lewis. Is that like a big thing to everybody there? Dan Gurdy writes in and and, uh, he sends his condolences. Do you guys have a plan B? I, I read that email and I really thought that it was like somebody had died when I read the subject line. I was like, oh God, like what now? <laughs> All right, we're getting <laughs> off know, topic. We, we will survive without the, the, the Hooters in DC. I don't even need, yeah. Dude, the lithium ion technology and, and, and getting out in the woods. I, I'm, I, let's just talk about bikes or whatever. Sorry to get on a tangent here. I went to this trade show, the GEI trade show. Dude, they have these autonomous lithium ion powered learning lawnmowers that you can buy for like two grand you just set it loose in your yard you don't do anything you just set it loose in your yard it automatically looks for the gps points of your property lines and everything learns where all the stuff in your yard is the first time it takes it like eight or ten hours oh runs out of battery let me cruise over and get some more juice i'll come back out mows your grass after like four or five stuff it learns four or five rounds it learns where everything at is at and it can like mow your grass like a half acre in an hour 
Is this where the hammer factor? Is this what we've come to? Documenting the end of civilization. <laughs> I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you. It is way off topic, but I'm just blown away by living. I think we're, we're we're like losing any listeners we had under the age of forty right now. I want to like we're talking about. <laughs> Oh, I, I want like a pocket that goes like in my longboat where I can secretly engage like a jet powered lithium ion battery. I'm sure it's coming. Oh, I can't wait for that. I'm going to. Grace, I feel like you have a lot of like pent up things you needed to talk about while we haven't been recording for the last month. Oh, I do. My brain's a little scrambled. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, do we want to talk about my, my buddy in the three percenters? Before yeah, we move yeah, on. yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, dear. Continue. Continue. I'm gonna leave the show for a little bit. Just wave <laughs> your hands when we're done talking about this. So who's your buddy? Well, should we, should we read his his Facebook message or whatever? So this person apparently so Weld set us off last time on or set me off last time on a long rant about Matt Shea, the crackpot right wing legislator from Eastern Washington. And we got a comment, an email. You have Facebook to read it. You have to read from the read it. First VA rifleman, anonymous Facebook gun enthusiast, who says, I am a three percenter and a whitewater kayaker. People that believe in the Constitution are not white supremacists. Lewis Geltman is most likely a progressive who would freak out if he heard anyone talk about a group like he talked about conservative Americans who believe in the Constitution. But when you talk about a group that is majority white male conservatives, there is a clear double standard. In reality, most conservative Americans who believe in the Constitution are really classical liberals. I also would be willing to bet Mr. Geltman has no real understanding of American history, only some fake progressive revisionist story of American history. What a three percenter really is is an American rifleman that is unwilling to prote- that is willing to protect the Bill of Rights if anyone infringes upon those unalienable rights, meaning no one can put a lien on those rights. Those rights are innate and come from God or humanity. It doesn't matter what your interpretation is, but those rights are not negotiable in any way, including if the government were pass any type of law code or statutes that infringe upon those rights. Fascinating. Um, God bless you America. Guess that, yeah. The, the, the first time he posted this comment in response to something or other, he kept referring to Mr. Byers, but Amer- apparently he figured out that I'm the one who hates freedom, not Scott Byers. <laughs> poor, poor Scott Byers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, 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 I don't even know where to start with this stuff. I mean... I don't know. There's nowhere to start, man. Everybody There's can have their own start. opinion. You're right. Everybody... No, no. <laughs> I mean, some opinions are flatly wrong, but I mean, if your sense of history comes from the pamphlet you picked up from the back of Soldier of Fortune, I, you know, I don't know where to start with you. <laughs> so. Uh, oh, that, man. It shows the reach we've gotten that we've. Apparently, we're making inroads into the the three percenters. It's kind of ridiculous the reach that the hammer factor gets, and I'll tell you, like I'll just be sitting in a crowd, and I don't just, I don't know if this ever happens to you guys, but I'll just chime into the conversation or something, and literally like three or four people I don't know look at me and be like, "Are you the dude from the hammer factor?" Mm. And I'll be like, oh, "Yep, that's me." And then inevitably it gets into explaining something either Weld or Geltman said, <laughs> so like right. 
I just apologize. I just say, would you say, are you an air I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> so do we want to move down the show here? Are we ready yeah. to are we ready Most to rock? Yeah. <clears throat> so something that uh we've talked about several times on the show here. I believe you, Mr. Weld, are a little bit more passionate about this be- than <clears throat> than some of the others of us, but essentially the topic is the death of paddle sports. Well, I think this is something we should all be concerned about because this is a real thing. No, it's truly but, but, but that's, it's not the death of the paddle sports, right? It's the death of the paddle sports industry. Right, but I think there's farther, bigger implications here. So let's start with your thousands of people at Golly Fest, right? Okay, yeah. Ton of people there. More right? than I've ever seen. It's I would a, say the same for the bigger this weekend. than I've ever seen. Yeah, participation isn't the problem, right? The problem is that that you can't scale a money losing operation. So, right? so why do you think these operations have existed for so long in a in a in in an environment where they're actually losing money year over year. Well, let's get let's get people up to speed. All right. So, you know, this came from this is a, this is a thought that's been brewing in paddle sports industry for a while now, and it's been clear if you work in this business that there is a sense of distress for sure, right? Um, and it kind of came to it kind of came to a head at this most recent paddle sports show where I certainly heard the sentiment over and over again, and and I had my own thoughts on this. Corn Addison as I mentioned, gave a talk at the show, um, which I, th- I felt was, uh, uh, he, he was 100% correct. He made a few exaggerations to make a point, but not big exaggerations. And I've done people the favor of posting this. They can find, they can download this, this talk at uh, tinyurl.com slash talk. one word, that's C-O- R-R-A-N-T-A-L-K, Talk. So it's tinyurl.com slash Talk. You can download and listen to it. It's about a half hour long. I'll put it in the show notes as well. Yeah. you owe it. If, you, if you're a whitewater paddler, you owe it to yourself to listen to this thing. And Corn, and Corn points out, and, and this is the, the trope that came up with the show, is that no one in this, this industry, with very few exceptions, with maybe just perhaps one exception, is really making any money on this. The, the manufacturers aren't making any money. The uh, retailers aren't making any money. The sales reps aren't making any money. It's a money-losing proposition. And then basically, the price of all these sporting, all these kayaking items that you that people buy, the, the price needs to come up. And that's so we can support the development of these products. You know, paying these these engineers and designers to make these things, which is a costly proposition. Um, and, and so the manufacturers can make money, and also supporting a retailer network. And to advance uh, designs and and materials and everything. And I can give you I can give you an example, right? I mean, we're at a point, Grace, where you called IR and asked for a $300 donation, right, to support the Green Race, which we joke around. The Green Race is is a seminal paddling event in the United States for Whitewater, right? Is there? I mean, it's if it, it's something that every manufacturer support. $300 at this point in our sport, that's a, a, a amount of money where we all sit down and, and talk about it. Like, do we really have that kind of money? That's absurd. That's abs- ridiculous. I right? agree. I mean, that's because we have no money, right? The sport has no money. So you're wondering why you're when when canoe you know when events come on and canoe clubs write us for event sponsorship and we we send them a t-shirt or something and they barely squeak by. That's the reason. There's just no money, right? Um, 
But if you listen to this, if you listen to the if you listen to what Corin says, and I, once again, I think he's right. Is what's happening is 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 you take for example a boat. And we had a guy write in uh, this guy Josh. And he was like, "What am I going to get for a two thousand dollar kayak?" That's that's what Corin's saying. His boat should be costing two thousand dollars. He's like, "What am I going to get extra?" But that, that's not the right question. I mean, the question is is the, the he, he's missing the point. The point is is that. We can't continue to make boats for as cheap as they are. And if you look at a boat from from 20 years ago or 15 years ago, like a Crossfire, they cost about the same amount amount of money as they cost now. But they had hardly any outfitting. The designs weren't that great. I mean, you had to glue in styrofoam hip, or mini cell hip pads. The back bands were a piece of webbing. The thigh braces were recycled boat plastic, which cracked, you know, after a year's worth of use. You had metal foot pegs in these things. You know, think about how far in these boats that you paddle this weekend in terms of design and sophistication of outfitting and foot braces and performance, how far we've come. It costs the same amount of money. It's just not it's just not a tenable situation. Corn um, at one point makes the the, the 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 statement that you know, if we're not careful, we're gonna end up the way paddle sports was thirty or forty, you know, forty years ago where people had to make their own gear. And you know, that's a, a bit of an exaggeration, but but I will point out, and we had people write about this sweet uh, uh, sweet protection is no longer making dry tops and dry suits, right? They're still making helmets, right? That's still a good business for them, evidently. But they pulled out of paddle sport soft goods, and I'm not gloating about this. It's not. I'm not looking as an opportunity for IR to, you know, to gain market share. This is a this is a sign of a, an industry that's that's shrinking, right? AT paddles, no longer in business, right? Uh, this is on a. This is from. Uh, I didn't hear. I saw the press release from Sweet personally, so I know that's a fact. AT paddles, according to a couple of retailers, have told me offhand they've stopped selling paddles, so they're done. Once again, it's a Confluence brand. I don't want to dig my spurs into Confluence again, but it's a Confluence brand that's been that's that's out. So as a whitewater paddler, what Wait, you? Have... I want to pause on that for a second because I will dig into Confluence again on that because that happened two weeks after we had somebody on from Confluence to tell us that there was nothing to see there and nothing was wrong. Two weeks. Right. <laughs> yeah. And and now I, I just I, I I don't yeah, I, I didn't appreciate that. You, and you, as a paddle you have you, a we, in the US you have Warner paddles and um what? Bending branches? I mean what what are the other choices from a US paddle manufacturer? I guess accent. Accent, right. Yeah. I mean those are that's it. And when's that I mean how I don't know anything about accent, but you know, when are we gonna be on just Warner? Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, no I hear you. Um, it's a real thing. It's a real thing. I mean, I, I think for us, and then we had another guy write in and he was saying, what's going to happen? You know, we're having a booming economy right now. What's going to happen when, uh, when we have a recession? Well, I'll tell you what's going to happen. You're going to lose another half a dozen paddle sports brands. That's what's going to happen. Right. Oh, I hate to hear I that. say that beyond a shadow of a doubt. That's exactly what will happen. Ah. Um, <sighs> But we need the money in the sport. So mountain biking, how many how many mountain bikes, what's the value of mountain bikes right now out of demo days? Like if you're Trek, a million dollars worth of bikes just circling around the country at demo days for people to try out? Something like that? Who knows? I mean, that's what we need, right? I mean, you want, to, you want the sport to be healthy. Uh, you know, we need the money in the sport to do that um, uh, for, for, the, for the manufacturers and the retailers and everybody along the chain to make money and also to grow the sport. Never mind branding about waterfalls or whatever that that's the nut anyway so how, does, so how does that happen i mean did you think that manufacturers just need to 
just start raising prices and people are going to get over it. I mean, it seems like you have to come up with some superior product to make that a reality, right? And I mean, we do have a superior product that we're undervaluing, right? We had Tim Kennedy, who's a longtime listener, wrote in and mentioned direct sales and how this hasn't really been worked that well and how important retailers are. And we had another guy, guy named Peter, write in about direct to consumer sales and paddle sports, right? So, so the direct to sales program, you know, where manufacturers start selling direct to consumers, uh, you know, the, you can get lost in the economics of that, but that's basically what's happening is it's a gigantic downward pressure on pricing. That's all that is. That's that sales channels getting squeezed and the in the internet basically putting enormous downward pressure on pricing. 100%. So things are just and, and and what's happening now is is that these products that we're selling are just nowhere near. We're just not selling for anywhere near enough money to make a go of it. So are you going to uh, raise prices? We have to. We all have to. Everybody does, right? Is that not price fixing? Well, I can't I can't call Cocotat and tell them to raise pricing on their dry suits, but it's what has to happen, right? So Jackson is raising the price of their boats three hundred dollars next year. Do you have any predictions of of how that's going to affect number one sales and number two? So do you think the rest of the industry is going to jump on board with that? Well, I mean, I talked with a lot of boat manufacturers about the <clears throat> show, and once again, you can't you know people know this by and large, you can't. You can't collude on pricing, right? You can't get a bunch of manufacturers. And they did. And there's been no collusion, right? That's that's uh, that's what we hear. That's fake, that's fake news. <laughs> no collusion. Um, but I can say for sure that that there's no one out there who would not not enjoy raising their prices of their of their products. Yeah. And it's not like, like yeah. I mean, I I, a, I feel like that'll play okay for Jackson. I mean, I feel like they have sort of like a dedicated fan base and i think waka has helped with that you know like you know if you want to buy a waka boat it's gonna be 1300 bucks and it's like you know people pay that because it's in a lot of ways a superior kayak and it's worth paying that you know and it's like maybe that'll start leading the charge right i mean i the big the big picture is people need to gear up for a for a healthy industry right if you want if you want paddling programs if you want if you want uh, retailers with paddle uh, paddling uh, programs in the afternoon, if you want knowledgeable staff, if you want great boat designs, if you want all these things, you better get, you need to get ready for two thousand dollar wetwater kayaks, fifteen hundred dollar dry suits, five hundred dollar paddles, right? That that's the kind of thing you're looking at, and that's not that's enough money to, to make the business survive, right? You know, what a, you know what a lift ticket costs in Vail? A one-day weekend lift ticket costs right now? $209. Right. $209. I can't get... We can't get people to buy $60 to park in a parking lot and paddle the green for the entire year. Right. I don't know. It's tricky. I hear... That's philosophical, right? I mean, it's like, that's public land. And it's like, you should be able to access your public land. And yeah. you know, get to the river and not pay for it. But and it's, it's not. Like, but it's not public land. It's a private piece of property that you got to park your car on. There's no other place to park it. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, but, and you have to cross but, private land to get down to the river. I mean, it's our policy now that there really shouldn't be private land anymore, right? Is that we're where we're going? Private property. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. Anyway, I you know I I hear what you're saying. I guess from my lens. I don't know. The race to the bottom's never gonna. That's never gonna win. 
you know, so the race to the bottom, trying to out volume people in a specialty sport like whitewater is never going to work. Well, I guess we're I would just like to we're see trying somebody. To, we're, we're trying to cut out. We're trying to tr cut out middlemen, right? That's the that's the the theory, right? Since yeah, know, but, suits, but those are the suits, market value of a dry suit seven hundred dollars. Manufacturer like, well, screw it. I'm not, I can't. I'm not going to go to a retailer. That, and then they think that's the end of it, but it's not. <laughs> the dry suits are six hundred and fifty dollars, right? And then what do you then what do you start cutting? That's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, I guess I just like what I'd like to see is like, it's like rather than just being like, we're going to raise prices and then all these benefits are going to flow. Like, it seems like it would be a lot more viable if there were, you know, like new players in the whitewater market who were like, we're making a better product and we're going to charge more for it. And that's starting true. with the innovation rather that's than suggesting, the that's suggesting that the products we're making right now aren't good and they are really good. Right. I mean, the amount of work that goes into a dry suit right now is fucking ponderous i mean i guess I, I i buy that like way more for um for soft goods than i do for kayaks because to me like kayak design has improved vastly but yeah you're looking at all these all these boat designs that grace was crowing about were designed what four years ago three years ago by you by people who are either have either left the company right or they're approaching retirement age you know, I mean, no one's no one's jumping in line to as a, a you know a super qualified you know engineer to design whitewater kayaks for sixty grand a year. I don't think an engineer's was needed to design whitewater kayaks. It's like what's needed is a good kayaker, and for the you know for the gatekeepers on the opportunity to do that to to open up those opportunities to more people. I think that is you are vastly misjudging how difficult it is to design a whitewater kayak and how expensive it is to get it wrong. Lithium in terms of not technology. just design, I'm talking about the rotomolding process. I'm talking about the outfitting. I'm talking about the CNC work. I mean, all of these things. No, that's a lot into it. I don't know. You know where I think a real opportunity is for making kayaks, though, is additive 3D printing. I saw some displays recently of some sweet 3D printing devices, and I just think it's a matter of time before 3D printing is what's going to take whitewater kayak design. And just like the price of it to the next level. I mean, you talk about, I mean, it's amazing. I don't think what you, you could, with I mean, maybe it would help with design, but I can't imagine that you could 3D print anything cheaper than you could rotomold it, right? I mean, yeah, but rotomolding is cheap. Yeah, but you can customize it to no end. You know, people, I personally would pay money to be able to sit in like a stock Alpha 90 and be like, you know, I just want a little bit of this, change that just a little bit, and do this for me. I would pay, I'd double the price for that. Like, not even think about it. But, do you double the price if you're going to still break the boat in six months? <sighs> Let's not talk about that. I'm, I'm a special case. <laughs> not everybody breaks their boats as much as I do. Um, I don't know. It's a legit thing to talk about. All my friends are in this sport. Uh, so many people, I want them all to thrive and be incredible but i mean i see it from a marketing and event organizer and i see so much of the manufacturers cutting the nose off to spite their tail or whatever however that goes <laughs> just by you know there's just so many opportunities to focus and maybe if there was more money that would do it you know but there's just a lot of people out there and we'll get to this when we start talking about more class two three four races and different things but 
it's just tricky on the race to the bottom and what's going on right now in whitewater is the race to the bottom cut out whoever you can undercut whatever you can and get it out there on the market and get your dollars and it's just going to end up with just i don't know right he's going to move to the gorge and start a kayak company no i'm out on that <laughs> unless if it's lithium ion powered maybe it's going to be solely meat powered you could have like little turbo boosters in your paddle, like you had your paddle carve out and there was like a lithium ion, little tiny battery. And every time your paddle went in, it was like. I saw this really innovative product that, that helps you roll. You, you might be into it. <laughs> <laughs> we got to get him on the show at some point because he is a real guy. We're talking about the, uh, the one group gangsters floating, the floating. <laughs> The, the high and float. What's it called? Oh, uh, high and dry. High and dry. Die immersion research. High and dry. Um. <laughs> oh my God. All right. So let's move on. Let's move on. What do, do we want to get into? Some listener mail. Is there anything that I've missed up to this point? Keep me in here, guys. My brain's a little in a different place. To finish on that subject, Big Mike wrote. Big Mike is a guy who's six eight. He wants a playboat. Right. Well, no, Big Mike, you're not going to get your playboat. No one's going to make that boat because they would never make any money off of that boat. Yeah. Right. And never mind Big Mike, who represents a very small portion of the size, you know, size-wise of the population. Let's talk about, you know, the many, many, many paddlers were five four. They're not getting a boat either. Or maybe I will, they have I will share boat. Big Mike's frustration that it seems like oftentimes, you know, like the, the large size kayak is meant for the fat, unathletic person, not for you know, a tall, bigger dude who's, I know, agree. wants to send it. I agree. Yeah, or but the same a... with like, I mean, the same with like, you know, gear sizing, right? It's like, you know, like you have to make your extra large dry suit to accommodate like fatties. And like, <laughs> it's hard, you know? Yeah, well, yeah, we just can't, right. We just can't do all these things. Jackson, you I'm know, sorry, for many years in the 2000s made a boat there. For... Jackson, Jackson, for many years. I their angry emails right now. <laughs> <laughs> What were you saying there, Weld? I think uh, I, I think you got overtalked. Uh, Jackson, for many years in the 2000s, made boats for everybody. But you know, as we've said before, you know they hemorrhaged cash during that period of time. Moving on, um, let's get into some listener mail. Evan Stafford lets us have it. Straight up, lets us have it on whitewater safety. Um, and basically, we talked about mainly you guys talked about Swiftwater res- rescue courses and their um, how they're pretty much obsolete and no one should ever take one. And wait a minute, <laughs> yeah, hold on. Okay, maybe I put some words in your guys' mouth, but that's what obviously Evan Stafford heard. He says, uh, "Love having a whitewater podcast to keep me laughing through the long road trips, and appreciate the focus on stewardship." Excuse me, but. The poo-pooing of whitewater safety training, even going back to the topic in the most recent episode, is just ridiculous, not re- not to mention irresponsible. Thank you, Grace, for not letting it get totally off the rails, but there's a huge difference between saying <laughs> that rescue three swift water classes don't address most of the true skills a class five kayaker needs. They, d- they generally don't. They're designed for firefighters versus, say, whitewater paddlers don't need rescue training. And what I'm hearing, especially out of Weld, is essentially that 
mm. Nick Wigston, Tommy Hillicky, and I, plus others, developed a course specifically for whitewater paddlers that we fought, taught for 10 years, and there currently exists plenty of other swift water courses designed specifically for whitewater paddlers. Um, essentially, he goes on... Um, to practicing techniques like frogmen and grabbing that bitch and various things. Um, I challenge you to invite myself, Tommy, onto the show, and I guarantee we'll stump at least one of the hosts with a basic rescue technique. Rescue practice can literally save lives, and it's not about complex rope work. It's about thinking fast, having simple, quick, and reliable rescue skills at your disposal, and getting it done when the shit hits the fan. Sincerely, Evan Stafford. What say you, boys? Well, we should point out Evan Stafford is... Not a terrible kayaker, right? Not terrible. That's shabby. <clears throat> well, I think the, the point of the discussion was, I think this whole genesis of this was that I took a, an avalanche course out here, and when you look at people skiing in the backcountry, it's 100% of the people you ski with in the backcountry have taken an avi course, right? And the number in whitewater for whitewater rescue course is substantially less. And additionally, you can get many class 5 whitewater paddlers who who poo-poo the whitewater safety classes who kind of roll their eyes. It's like a club motor thing, which I think is a, which I found to be an interesting topic of conversation. I guess it's turned into one. So that's, that's where I'm coming from on this. I think we gotta have, I'm sure, I'm sure Evan's right. I'm like, yeah, I'm sure Evan's right. Everybody should take a swift water rescue class. Well, except for us because we're busy. I think what he's saying, I think, I think what in Evan's defense, what he's saying is yes, there are swift water rescue classes that are a joke for a whitewater paddler, but there are those that are specifically built around the premise of being on the water, and those could be much more valuable to a whitewater paddler. So I think we should get Hillicky on the show. I mean, we haven't had Hillicky on the show, have we? Seems like an oversight. Hmm. We'll have to get him on the show to talk about it. It'll be good. Yeah, you would be good. Um, moving on. This comes at us from Mr. Todd Baker and the Falls Conspiracy. So this is right up the captain of Conspiracy, John Weld's alley here. Dear Hammer Factor, there's a topic I'd like you to address. I think your show is the perfect place to get to the bottom of this, and I'm sure people will be interested to hear about it. I believe the Army Corps of Engineers is controlling the flow of the, uh, flow of the dam in Confluence, Pennsylvania, in order to keep the water at a level over the runnable level for Ohio Falls on weekends. Having worked and lived in the area for a few years, it seems like the water is being held back during the week and raised just above the legal falls running levels on weekends. You may be thinking the Army Corps is just helping the raft trips run a little smoother on the weekends by giving them a little more water when they know there will be larger trips. I'm not sure that is the case. When the falls was finally open, you were permitted to run the falls at 1.8. Recently, the maximum level was changed to 1.9. Based on my observation, it seems like the levels during the 1.8 years would always be 1.6 during the week, then 1.81 on the weekends. Now that the levels are 1.9, it seems like we're seeing lower flows during the week and 1.92 on the weekends. I'd like you to have Kenny answer to do a statistical analysis and let us know the truth. Truth. That's very interesting. Um, he, I, I have to say, he that is an observation. He's not alone on, on this one. That's an observation that many people have made, and it is uncanny how that seems to work out that way. And I, have, I do have a, a, a deep throat, so to speak, in the... Uh, <laughs> in the, in the uh, water <laughs> release business down there, and I've reached out to this individual, but have not heard back. 
So interesting. I want to more to come on this story. Yeah, that's a good one. Thanks for that, Todd. Yeah. Very good one. Um, this comes at us from Timothy Coonan. Hat tip to Timothy. He says, I don't know why people keep saying the Rants and Raves is the best part of the podcast when it's by far the appearance of anonymous boat review guy. Isn't it about time to bring him back for more life advice or reviews? Though we hear so much about boats, but what about paddles? A comparison between some Werner, AT, Gallisport, Letman, etc. paddles would be nice. Um, well, I, I recently reached out to the ABRG, and he will be making an appearance pretty soon. So, thanks for that, Timothy. Yeah. How, um, about, how about paddles? I mean, we're down to, I mean, for wetwater paddles, what, what is there? Is, I mean, you, you look at two, right? Werner and Gallisport. Yeah. Is that right? I mean, and accent. Is that true? I mean, I know there's other, certainly other brands out there. Accents just those. Paddles. Accents are janky, though, right? I, I don't. I have never used one. I, I have to be honest. But Werner would be. I mean, Lettons are ninety percent like, market share now. I mean, Lettons are like six hundred bucks a piece or something. Unholy. Yeah. Mm. Um. This comes at us from Will. It's a bunch of European brands. Just go to Shogun or uh, Odachi. Why is the whitewater industry well so much healthier in Europe than it is in the U.S.? It sure well, seems so. like that. I couldn't say. I couldn't say. I think it's because they have more events. Clubs. Yeah. So well, we, we we had a guy write in about clubs and you know talking about the role of club boating in the United States and how it's declined, right? And I will say, I don't, I, I can't remember where I say these things if I said it here or somewhere else, but I remember when we were, when I grew up in D.C. in the 70s and 80s, there was 2,000 people in the canoe cruisers in D.C. I'm not saying they're all active members, but still, it's a big roster of people. My dad was chairman of Minoxie Canoe Club, right, which was 20 minutes or 30 minutes down the road from D.C., another very, you know, very robust active canoe club. I, and got, I got started in a canoe club. We all, I mean, many of us did, right? So how did how did the the people who were born in the in the early '70s? How did we learn a boat? We were stuck in the front of a canoe during these intractable weekends and on these canoe trips and these farm creeks around the East Coast. But there was thousands of thousands of us, right? And after a while, we got sick of sitting in a canoe. We all started kayaking, right? And then you saw what I consider to be what the greatest generation of American <laughs> kayaker, right? Which would have been Tom Brokaw. <laughs> Right during the, the, the Davy Hearn, Lug Bill, Kathy Hearn. You know, this is when and, and these people were when you go to you go to the Peterson. You know, uh, the, the race in West Virginia. It's like uh, on the South Fork Potomac. It'd be like March. It'd be a, yeah, Petersburg. Like 150 people there. Right. That was just a different era. Um, but Americans don't recreate like that anymore, do they? Right. Blame the internet. We just shuttle our kids from one team sport to another. Ah, it's so sad. The internet and like just all the parents I see just give their kids a device. Oh, it freaks me out. I don't know about that one. We gotta we gotta change subjects. Um this comes at us from Will. Basically, he says, I'm curious, he references some things from a show back where we talked about you know, is it that cool to run a 100-foot waterfall? Does that relate to sponsorship? And he says, I'm curious about what kinds of things would add to the resume um, for someone who's looking to get sponsors. For example, is it all physical feats or would strong activism for environmental rights, sustainability, a general vigor for life, etc., 
And he says, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts, what the sponsorship discussions sound like at IR, and whether you all at Hammer Factor have put much thought into the message you hope to put into the world. Um, motiva- motivating the audience to get rad every day is perfect, but how do you define rad? So, can I, before you give a real answer to this, John, can I give my answer to this? Which yes. Is, yes. Which is just don't waste your time. It's like, like, like how much money is, is a kayaking sponsorship really worth? It's like, you can just get a job and make that money and not have to sell yourself on the internet and turn kayaking into a job and turn every day on the river into like an advertising opportunity for some business. It's like, you don't, I don't, I don't know. Just like think long and hard before you do that. Cause it's like, I just, I feel like the financial value of that relationship it's like you're not really getting that much out of that compared to what you're putting into it. And I feel like I just see so many people who are doing that, not because of some actual value to it, but just as like a pathway to like ego gratification. And it's like, you don't need to have your kayaking career validated by the approval of some, you know, business. It's like, you can just do it for yourself, do it for your friends. Like you don't need like the attention of the internet or, you know, the validation of, of, some private equity owned water sports conglomerate, like you oh just boy. go kayaking, <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, I think I honestly, Gelman, you're right. I mean, our sport and I, I'm not going to beat this dead horse too much longer, but our sport's so financially broken at this point, the market value for a, a whitewater athlete is basically zero. I mean, there is, there is, I mean, a half a dozen paddlers in the United States who, who make a living kayaking, and even then, I mean, you could argue that they're not—they're not even doing that. They're su- supplementing their income other other ways, but it's not worth it. And, and you get—you get—you get people immediately go for boat sponsorship, and then you know they're stuck with whatever boat this company is making. Yeah, like they the go to a race and they try out their boat. The boat sponsorship is the stupidest one of all. It's like right. like and that is the one where you're just like you're sponsored by X. They'll make a good creek boats you're liking, and Y does, and you're stuck with this boat sponsorship, and all you're getting is free boats. You know. Um. It it doesn't right. I I agree. It at this point in the sport, you, you know, there was a shining moment, eighteen years ago, where there was a professional class of boaters, right? And this was the same era where you could go to the IR Triple Crown, and there was a twenty thousand dollar cash prize. But those days are gone. Um, there's just not enough on the table to worry about being a sponsored paddler. And the part about the hammer factor and what I mean about being rad and Lewis and I, we talked about this at Outdoor Retail Show, and basically it's just what you said: go do something. Get off your phone, ride your bike, go attain some class two or take your boyfriend out on a canoe trip or go get a lap on your local local run. But just just go do something, you know, then the endorphins start flowing and, and just doors open. And I mean, that's what I mean by that. I don't know if that resonates in that, but that's what I would say, Will. Yeah, I mean, we all, all of us help, paddle, you know, help noteworthy paddlers out with gear. Right. I mean, I, I, I understand that. Um and what do we look for? I mean, honestly, I mean, the baseline, if you're not getting 20,000 views w- with your videos, right, that'd be right off the bat, you know, uh, you, you need to go back to the back to the drawing board, start working on that. Um, there's different kinds of paddlers. There's, there's paddlers who are of the people like like Fuseli, who's probably the best paddle sports athlete there has ever been because he paddles with everybody anywhere, anytime for any reason. He's just a man of the people. He's also a phenomenal kayaker, and he's beloved. Right, and he's, he's so fun to be around. Right, he's so he's such a positive force on the river. Right, that's a great athlete to have. Um, 
He's not the flashiest, right? He's not your GERD or your annual, but he is solid, solid sponsor material, right? But then you get people who are in a very rarefied area who are just so good, like annual and GERD. They just sell equipment because they are just so good. Or Dane, for instance. Um, you know, they're a different kind of athlete, but those are so far and few between. I mean, you know, the chances of you becoming one of those athletes is minute. So. And it's like, yeah, and it's like if that's what you want, it's like do that because you want to be the best kayaker in the world, not because you want to be the best kayaker in the world so you can get a sponsor. Yeah, It's like you got to do it because you want to do it, you know? Like the external rewards in this sport are just so small that chasing them is a distraction from the internal rewards, you know? Right, and at this point, I guarantee, you know, like if you're in skiing, you can pretty much guarantee Rosingle is going to make what you need in terms of what they make. They're going to make the best of something in some category. But if you're if you're sponsored by paddler, you know, paddle sports companies, you're never going to be satisfied. Someone's got a better skirt or a better dry suit or a better paddle or a better boat from some other brand, you know, at any given time. Yeah. Maybe not better in general, but better for you at least. Yeah, the sponsorship thing to me was always. I mean, I you know I made films and sold them to make money for adventures, and it was clear that I wanted sponsorship and I wanted that so I could pursue these goals. You know, every year there was a list of goals that you wanted to do, and so the sponsorship was a route to get to those goals. It never had anything to do with anything else. <clears throat> but like for the gear hookup thing, if someone's like, "Hey, I'll give you some gear," you know, for a sponsorship. I mean, that's, you're just being a clothes horse at that point. And it's, I mean, for me personally, it's a lot like the NCAA, you know, I don't know if you guys follow any of this and I've touched on it in the show is like, I think that NCAA athletes, especially in the bigger sports like basketball and football and whatnot are so abused and taken advantage of. I mean, there can be a Jersey with their number that they're totally associated with and the university can sell a million dollars worth of it, use their name and likeness for whatever they want. But that person who's that number that made that number famous and that Jersey a big deal can't get a single cent for it. You know, it's just the whole just like, here, let me just hook you up with this. And I don't know. I don't understand that. And so much of it too. I mean, it's like, I, I mean, there are a lot of companies where it's like, like you just don't need enough of a thing for it to ever be worth the time to chase that. Right. It's like, it's like you need, how often do you need a new helmet? Like every couple of years. <laughs> and it's like, so like, like what are you willing to do for a hundred dollars or $150? Right. It's like, if they're like, you got to write one blog post every quarter. It's like, at that point you're making like $5 an hour. It's like, just go, go mow somebody's lawn and buy a helmet. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's stupid. It's like, why are you chasing that? It makes no sense. I agree. I agree. I hope that answers the question that will ask. Now there, here's, this comes at us from a different will moving on. He talks about whitewater technique. He says, I'm a sea kayaker who has made the transition to the river. I have solid sea kayaking form, but there's some big difference in the ideal form between the two disciplines. What resources would you recommend for someone trying to identify the ideal form and work toward it? Old bomb flow videos. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Uh, well, I think that's it. <laughs> no i don't think whitewater whitewater i mean if he's talking about paddles but just like forward paddling i i see all different kinds of forward paddling technique out there with you know with great paddlers have all different kinds of styles i i, I think whitewater is 
more a matter of learning how to read whitewater. And you got to have some basic fundamentals. Like you have to have a good catch on your stroke and you don't want to drag your paddle in the water and like those basic things. But I, I agree. Know. I agree. But people say these things and like you see, like you look at great paddlers and they don't necessarily have a perfect catch. Right. Yeah, but it's pretty good. Uh, I don't know, man. Yeah, I feel like it's gotten it's gotten better. Like I feel like now more than ever, the people at the top of the sport do have legitimately good technique. I'll tell you, what you can I tell you what I can you can see is I can always see someone learn to paddle as a kid. If they learn to paddle when they're under twelve years old, uh, you can see that in their style, right? And it wasn't necessarily taught; it was just something that came to them because they didn't have the strength to to do silly and efficient things as a kid. I will say that. And one thing I will say to Will here is that if you ever watch a runner, like running track and field, like running the the 400-yard dash, their form, all the runners out there, their form is very similar to some degree. There's various, various differences, but to some degree. But when you take a runner and you put them on um, a trail or running up in the mountains, they're hopping around and their form totally changes. It totally adapts to what they're running on. And I think for someone who's jumping from sea kayaking to whitewater kayaking, it's kind of a similar thing. You're not just on like a flat course like you are on the ocean. You're everything has to change to whatever kind of water you're on at that exact moment. So that would be my only thing off, advice that I would offer. Will don't worry too much about it. That's what I'd say. Um, where are we at? Uh, this one comes at us a lot. This comes at us from uh, James Youngblood. He says, where can I get old episodes of The Hammer Factor? And right. all of the episodes are on hammerfactor.com. You can go to the Whitewater feed, and they're all available there. And they're all on our YouTube channel. Now, iTunes, for some reason, I have no idea why, has pulled some of the older episodes. And I'll get to the bottom of that. Do you guys know why that is? I wonder if they... Conspiracy theory. Uh, hmm. It could be that. could be some deep state stuff right there. But I don't know. But that's where you can find them is at hammerfactor.com and on the YouTube channel. Um, we got a few more here. Um, tethers on paddles. This is a pretty good one. Um, <laughs> this comes at us from David... Chung, Chung. So I'm watching Bryn Orton's video. For, uh, he says, "Hello, Hammer Factor." So I'm watching Bryn Orton's videos from Tibet, which are sick. But what's bothering me is how he seems to have a tether on his paddle. Nobody else appears to have this. Can someone please remind me why we don't wear tethers on our paddles, especially on hard, hard white water? Please discuss. And he sends a couple YouTube videos, which some freaking huge white water. I'll put these in the show notes. Um, no doubt. Does anybody want to take this? I started. I I was so ready to poo-poo this, but then I started thinking, why don't I mean, I mean, people lose paddles all the time. I get all sorts of trouble because their paddles floating away. Why don't we tether? Have a paddle tether? I mean, I can see, you know, if you're, on, you're very comfortable in the river, if you wouldn't need another piece of gear. But I mean, if you're on smaller whitewater where there's rocks and your paddle gets stuck between a rock and all of a sudden you're tied to your paddle or something like that i mean i could see it being dangerous in some circumstances for sure but if you're running you know massive big white water the water's pretty cold so your hands are probably not working that great and you feel like if you lose your paddle you're gonna drown i mean i could see it making sense in the right circumstances like on really big water 
Yeah, I'm with you there. I mean, I would never. Or it's so powerful, you might just, you know, get your powers out of your hands. This, the, the stuff they're doing in Tibet certainly falls in that category. Did you see the videos? Oh, yeah. Those? Mm-mm. Mm. Mm-mm. You got to watch them. It's uh, big whitewater, and they're like 18,000 feet or something, so they're basically hypoxic. Yeah, and the picture is just this tiny little kayak in this just insanely huge river, and I'm just. At the end of the second one, the guy swims. Did you see that one? No, I didn't watch that part. I mean, he's in this hole forever. <laughs> and they, he finally swims out of this thing. And the, the closing, sort of the closing shots of him, like, prone on the bank with, like, a bunch of people standing around him. just laying there. Like, it looks like blood coming out of his mouth or something. Savage. Yikes. Oh, savage. All right, one more here. Um, we got to get Nuria on to talk about that trip. I think she has some things to share with us. Was she on that trip? Yeah, we've got, so. we've got quite a we've got no guests this show, but we have quite a few guests lined up. We um, tried. I mean, we show. tried. Yeah. I, yeah, I'll admit I've been slacking the last few weeks. Um, <clears throat> a lot of scheduling. Uh, Beth Millions comes on. In one episode, you guys mentioned wanting a T-shirt design of a Shih Tzu riding a motorized creature craft with doggy bags hanging from its neck. I was bored last night, so I drew up my interpretation of this scene. Hope you enjoy. Sorry about the poor scan quality. Beth, you don't ever apologize about anything because this is brilliant. <laughs> I, I enjoy this tremendously. <laughs> this thing is freaking brilliant, man. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I just love the rocket booster coming out of the back of it. Oh, man. <laughs> I like the Shih Tzu's space helmet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Beth, you rock. Um, so good. See, we got a couple hates and loves here, guys. I am sorry, but I only have about 15 more minutes here before I got to shut this show down. Um, Let's read the second one here. It needs to be read. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Ryan Lowe says, amongst all the criticism, I just want you guys to know that I appreciate you. Thanks for all that you do, Ryan Lowe. And s- then this one comes at us. Um, We're anonymous. This is anonymous, yeah. Sorry, right. guys. Doesn't want to be um, said. You guys are awesome. Thank you for your platform for Whitewater Paddlers to express and listen to ideas related to our collective passion. Please do not stop sharing your opinions on relative topics. Speaking for the listeners, we tune in precisely because we enjoy your opinions. If I wanted to listen to puff pieces on whitewater topics, I would listen to some other podcast. (laughs) Team Dagger, you have come a long way to claim the moral high ground since your days of hosting a stripper pole in front of your company booth at Gollyfest. Further, <laughs> further, anonymous True. says, I, True story. <laughs> "I still know where the pole is." <laughs> While you may not like the Hammer Factor podcast commenting on your recent layoffs, they certainly have a right to do so. Um, so own it. It sucks that people have lost their job. Finally, the beater police ask, and the internet has delivered. Um, and he has a little video um, and whatnot, but. Anyhow, thanks, Anonymous, and uh, I'd love to get a picture of that stripper pole if you're listening. I had totally forgotten about that until he sent that email, so thank you for bringing that back to light. Yeah. (laughs) Dude, the Dagger Kayak stripper pole is one of the greatest gaffes right up there when Jason Hale and the Piranha Van decided to get a bunch of baby pigs and have kids try and wrestle them at Gollyfest. (laughs) 
I have never <laughs> seen people so horrified in my entire life. <laughs> I mean, like, even at the time, this is like 15 years ago, and even then, everybody was like, like this is not appropriate. <laughs> oh, God, dude. Oh, thanks for that one, Anonymous. Um, oh, man. Um, so we got... We, we, we gave people mohawks one year at Golly Fest. IR did? Yeah, and we gave more than, more than a couple. Didn't I mean, you have some, like, pie-eating contests? There was definitely a pining contest. It might have been that might have been conjunction with dagger or, or liquid logic or something. I, I think I think to some degree some of that stuff needs to come back to Golly Fest. Yeah, two thousand dollar boats. Yep. We're gonna make that happen. <laughs> oh right? man, that just made my day. Between <laughs> oh my god, between that and Beth's t-shirt design, I'm, I kind of made my week. Um, all right, so we got several people who wrote in about events. Should I read each of these, or should we summarize this? Well, I'll give you a synopsis on the show notes here. Okay, so we've got Paul, organizer. He wants to come on and recap the, um, the OB Joyful race. Cody wants to find out and learn more about races, particularly class four and easier. Um, Aaron wants to promote the Mill Race Massacre, so check out the Mill Race Massacre. That's a race that's been going on a long time in South Carolina. Melissa defends bent shaft paddles. That's a dark hole. I don't want to go down there. Mm-hmm. Um, and she wants a list, a comprehensive list of races in the U.S. So basically, basically the overall theme is like, hey, I'm fired up. I can't run the little white race or the green race or whatnot. Um, what can I do? How right, that I... was the theme theme of like a half a dozen emails we got where people either wanting to promote an event or people wanting to find out about events, right? Yeah. So whose job is this? I think, unfortunately, this is going to fall on the hammer factor. AW? Well, I think AW, to me, AW is a focused group on... Well, they have a magazine, right, and a website, which is more general. No, they don't there might have... even be an event section of the AW website now that you mention this. Yeah. Well, if you're an event organizer and it's something like the Mill Mill Race Massacre or some of these other class two, three events that maybe I'm not so privy to, write in, let us know. We'll at least talk about them on the Hammer Factor and try to come up with some basic list. But I don't know. I think those events are just so cool. It's kind of like clubs, you know, just uh, have you guys ever done any like big mountain bike races or anything like that? big trail mm-hmm. running races or anything other than kayaking races. Mm-hmm. Well, what, what was it, John, that you did? Well, a lot of bike racing. Okay. Like leading up to those bike races, how much gear did you break, wear out, buy, scan the internet, look for what could help you just in your pursuit of that event? Well, I mean, it, well, in my case, I was, it was an ongoing thing. So I was racing every weekend or, but, but what are you getting at? What I'm getting at is, did those events and you getting ready for those events prompt you to buy more gear? I mean, my passion for the sport prompted me to buy more gear. I'm not sure how you tie the event to that. Well, I know there's an event like Pimbar. Part, it, but, but events are part of the ecosystem, right? Yeah. I mean, you have events and, you know, like we keep saying, we need, you need ecosystem. You need, you need all these players to yeah. make a sport really work. 
Yeah, and I think if more people were prone to get in there with their vents, start talking shit against their friends and having bets and whatever, even if it's a class two, three race, more people are going to upgrade their paddle. More people are going to get a better boat. More people are going to be interested in the innovations. I know when I do like Pimbar, a big mountain biking race, uh, race here in Pisgah that's like 80 miles, number one, I got to buy a whole new sprocket set. Typically, I go through at least one, few spokes and various things. I've actually dented a frame and had to get a new bike from it. So it's just, and I don't mind that, you know, I'm getting what I want out of that gear, you know? So I don't know. Healthy ecosystem is awesome. That's what I got on that. Anything? Yeah. I mean, you want to see these events go on too. I mean, how many paddle sports races go for four or five, six years and people just throw their hands up and they quit. I mean, what's going to happen with the North Fork race? That's an excellent question. You know what I mean? I mean, you know, there's, you know, a lot of serious talk about it not happening next year, you know, so. Right. And I mean, that's a great event. So. The green race. What's going to happen with the green race? Oh, man. I don't know. As long as I'm having fun, it'll still be going on. But at some point, I don't know, at some point, somebody else is going to have to, you know, take it over and. You know, I've, it'll be interesting to see what the next person does with it. You know, I've, it's just a shred fest to me. It's the greatest show in all sports. Yeah. I mean, but, to me, I think that's part of the lesson of the North Fork is like, you know, start start thinking about who's going to take it over some years in advance because that handoff is not it's not easy, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and it's so much work to put on an event. It is so much – so much of your soul goes into that it's you don't don't take that on lightly you know you got to be ready ready for a lot that is for sure um but now events i love them i love participating in them i'm doing a 50k the week after green race i do mountain bike races you know try to get to a couple kayak races every year i mean dude that's where you make your friends and you have stories and stuff in my opinion anyway Oh, moving on. Where do we go from here, guys? Are you guys ready to shut this thing down so I can get everything ready for the Green River Nails race? Yeah, let's do it. Yep. Is there anything that you guys would like to add? I feel like I've been talking and been kind of spastic the whole show. Lively. Oh, okay, now to everybody's second favorite part of the show behind ABRG guy. Um... Our rants and raves. This is where your hosts go on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave about something they're fired up or not so fired up about. And who has a rant or rave uh, prepared for this show? Come on, I was going to go. I was going <laughs> <laughs> to go on. Go ahead, just let it go, man. Come on, let it let it flow through you. Just let it flow. Just just. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> oh man, I'm just gonna let it die. Oh no! Jeez, oh, oh. you owe it to the six thousand really people who are gonna listen to the show to hear do what you've you really got to say. Do you want to get on that path again? We do, Lewis. Of course we do. Come on, make it happen. Uh, I'd really like to just let my my bile cool down. Just peel know. out and go, man. Just put the skirt on, peel out and go. Do you guys really want this? We do. Hang on, let me ask some listeners. Oh, yeah, they want it. Ah, damn it. 
One of you guys go. I gotta think this over for a minute. I'm gonna rant about. I'm gonna rant about paddling in the Pacific Northwest in the summer. I was sold on the idea that the, that the truss was gonna run every day of the year. Is what I heard many, many times leading up to this. Uh, How many times uh, have you gotten out this week since the truss came back in, John? Well, I'm, I'm a little busy. <laughs> a, a job. Um, but come on. Nothing happened. There was nothing going on whitewater-wise for six months. It was literally the worst year ever. Mm. Well, I'm ranting. I'm ranting about it. Well, good. Good. Deter all of the would-be whitewater colonizers. Right. <laughs> yeah. Stick stick to the uh, the the uh, Mid Atlantic area, southeast. Tons of water. Golly Fest, Russell Fork, Upper Yawk. You gotta admit, those damn release rivers in the fall are pretty rad out here, dude. I mean, I, 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 Tommy Hillicky is driving across the country right now to go run the Russell Fork with his six kids or ten kids <laughs> and a dog and wife. <laughs> I'm so jealous. Uh, well, I have got a rave, and I'm gonna just rave about everybody around the green and the whole community, in particular. The 32 people who are going to be helping with safety on race day, all volunteers, they're all going to sit on the side of the river for three hours, make sure everybody makes it down the course. The guys from Blue Ridge Fire and Rescue who use it as a training opportunity, the 2,000 fans who are going to hike in there, the racers from coming from all over the world. I mean, we got people from Ireland. We got three people from Ireland. It's going to be an interesting report on these guys. I haven't. I haven't researched much, but just the whole community just opening their arms to everybody and just pulling off this event and just my big hat tip to all of those people. I'm going to rave about them. Is Calhoun racing? Yeah, I saw him the other day. We paddled. Uh, we got a lap in. Man, did we talk with Jeff? Or... You know, he's on a mission about this sexist thing and more power to him. So. <sighs> Okay, Mr. Gelman. Shut us I'm down, not... my man. Shut it down. <laughs> I'm not Just... doing it, man. I'm not oh. doing it. I'm breathing Come on. Washington Nationals in the World Series. Oh. Oh. Awesome. Jesus Christ. <laughs> what a... disappointment. <laughs> you know, before we started the show, we were talking about what made the show great. Oh, God. All right. You really want it? Come on, on man. It. Just say nothing. Right. It's, a, it's a legit point, dude. All right. I'm, I'm like, I, I'm, all right, fine. So you guys yeah. drag down me. I'm legitimately angry about that Scott Byers interview. I felt like we brought up some serious things that needed to be discussed, and he came on the show and told us that we were crazy and there was nothing to see there. And we barely scratched the surface of what we know. We only talked about the things that are, uh, you know, in the public domain already, gave him an opportunity to clear the air. And instead came on and said, there's nothing to see there. And, you know, gave us a bunch of, 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 you know, corporate whitewashing about all the new boats coming out and all this and all that. And like, you know, an opportunity to talk about something real. And, you know, two weeks later, they take a gorge grown whitewater brand that had been purchased by, you know, private equity, dragged out to South Carolina, had the brand run into the ground and then, you know, two weeks after we had that conversation, you know, they took that brand out back and shot it. And 
you know, treating us like we're just like totally out to launch on this. I, you know, I just, I did not appreciate that whatsoever. And yeah, honestly, I, you know, feel somewhat the same way about, you know, the response we got from Jeff and Adrian about it. It's like, is there, you know, we went had this long conversation earlier about sponsored athletes in this sport and how little you get for that. And, you know, for whatever those guys are getting that you're going to come on and drag your friends, you know, give us a hard time for discussing, you know, the abuse that basically their brand, like that they're suffering at the hands of, uh, you know, their private equity overlords. It's like, like, like you guys have like Stockholm syndrome over there, you know, it's like, we're talking about, you know, it's like, like John Weld talking about the brand being in trouble is not what's sinking the brand. Like John Weld didn't lay off anybody like like the your private equity overlords are the ones who are laying people off talking about people is not laying off people laying off people is laying off people you know so yeah i was pretty worked up about all that so so what's the answer i mean scott byers came on and did his job right he's not in a position to start talking about the finances of dagger right that's, that's just fair you know what he could have done he could have on and said you know this is a tough industry we're going through some challenges right now but we're committed to working it out. You know, we, you know, we are an industry, we're in a difficult industry. We have a bunch of employees who are really passionate about whitewater. As you guys all know, this is a hard thing to navigate and we're doing our best to do it. Like we care about the whitewater industry. We care about kayaking. We're passionate about it. We're going through some challenges. It sucks when you have to lay off people, but like that's, that's where we're at. And like, we're going to, we're going to battle through and we're going to like come out on the other side of this. Not like, Oh, we got this new boat coming out. And I just went up to New York and told the financiers that Jeff Calhoun's really excited about it and they wrote us another thousand million dollar check you know it's like like you don't have to bullshit us like we don't need that so all right in terms of AT what's I mean what what's the answer they bought this thing probably in good faith I mean maybe not I don't know but uh it just didn't make it let's suppose it didn't make any money it just continued not to make money and it was just a huge headache for them what do they do I mean I I can't answer that question it's like like to me I mean you do what you got to do there I mean whatever but you know, it, it's uh, to me, that's more an example of the the challenges that we wanted to discuss were real. Don't pretend that they're not. You know, it's like we obviously weren't out to launch about this when, you know, two weeks later, you fold one of your core brands like we're not. It's not fake news at that point. Right. Right. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Would you say it's fair to fair to say that it's not Scott Byer so much, but I think it was the reaction we got from the athletes there that was disappointing. Yeah, I mean, just all of it, you know, it's like, I feel like, you know, like we wanted to, I mean, maybe we didn't handle it at the outset as tactfully as we could have, but like to, to have the response be a mixture of like gaslighting us and attacking us for wanting to talk about it. Like, I don't appreciate that. Hmm. There's definitely some of that there. This is just an all, just an indication of everything we've talked about on this show of that. This is all a tight knit community. These are all our people. And there's just a lot of stress going on on the business end of the sport right now. And it just percolated yeah, out. You know I, I agree. Mean? I agree. And like, you know, like I'm, I, I, I shouldn't take it that personally, but it's like, that's what it comes down to, to me is it's like, I feel like. I, th I mean, I think we're all paddlers. We're passionate and we're in a perilous sport or perilous part of the time in the industry. It is a perilous time right now. I don't, I don't doubt any of that. I just, I felt like the way the response we got across the board from those guys was, uh, I didn't appreciate it. They definitely came at us hard. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. 
Oh, well, thank you for listening to this most recent Hammer Factor number 68. If you're coming to the Green Race, I hope to see you out there. Huge thanks to the incredibly talented John Weld and the our man on the front lines, Lewis Geltman. I can't wait to record another show here very soon. Apologize to all the listeners for not being on schedule. Honestly, everybody was just crushed with doing everything they're doing, but... Winter season is approaching. Fun things on the way. Oh, guys, here's something that I got to call out to all of our listeners who are still listening. Um, I'm, we're going to start a Hammer Factor Geargram, okay? So I've got these people, and I need, I've got a large person and a very small person. I need a medium-sized person who can be a wear tester for us on gear. Geltman, I know you always poo-poo the gear thing, but we get so many people asking about gear and opinions and what's new and whatnot that I want to put together a host of little wear test clips opinions. So if you are a medium-sized person, uh, that like 150 to 170 pound range, reach out to me. Or if you want to wear test some gear, send us an email. We'll see if we can get you hooked up. I got an idea here. I'm cooking something up cooking something up. It's a Ponzi scheme. All right. I guess that wraps us up. Thank you for listening. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next episode. Bye-bye.